A little levity is good, especially in the days that we live in. I don't know if you've noticed, but things are not, things are crazy. And, uh, and the Lord never promised us a rose garden on this side of glory, did he? He never promised it. In fact, it is a battle, isn't it? Uh, and we're seeing the battle. There's a spiritual battle raging around us. And even within our marriages, which is really what we're going to be looking at today, just marriage and divorce. We, t- we touched on it last week, and it was a little short because we had some guests and everything. But I want to just continue and pick up where we left off and actually review a little bit and get into this because it's an important topic. And... Uh, you know, marriage is something that God loves. He invented it. It was something that from the very beginning he saw when Adam was alone and he said, this is not good. And of course, God knew, God had a plan all along. But as Adam is there counting the, you know, or naming the animals and every animal had its pair, but there was nothing for Adam. And, it says, you know, and then God decided to make a help meet for him, meaning a helper, to give Adam a helper. And so the Lord did what he should do to every man, is just to put him to sleep. <laughs> put him to sleep, and then he opened up his rib, and, and, and just, just a conjecture of mine, okay? Um, the Bible doesn't tell us which side, but I have a belief that it was right over the heart. And the Lord took a rib, and he sealed up the flesh in Adam's skin, and he, from man he created woman. Notice, he didn't have to recreate anything. He created Adam. So he just took the material from Adam and brought Eve. And, and that's why they call woman, woman, because the word literally means out of man. She came out of man. And so there is, there is Adam, and then, he, and then when he woke up, can you imagine the anesthesia is wearing off from the surgery, and he's rubbing his eyes, and things are starting to come into focus, and then he sees Eve coming. He sees her coming, and he's like, who is this adorable creature, right? And I love that. I would love to have been in the garden when Adam saw Eve for the first time. And, just the, and God brought them together in, in holy matrimony. It was, the two flesh shall become one. And it was always that way from the very beginning. And so the Lord did that. And they began to propagate, to multiply, and to fill the earth. That was God's command to them. That was his mandate to them. And it was a very easy thing because they loved each other. And the natural affection and, and attraction between a man and a woman is very natural. And it's a good thing within God's order of things. See, most people think, well, God hates, you know, this idea of sex, and he hates this idea of, no, he, he invented it. It was, it, he knew. And, in fact, none of you would be here if it wasn't something that people like to do. Right? God ordained it. And within the bonds of marriage, it's holy. Do you understand? It's only now that it's been corrupted so badly, and now everything is, is so twisted and weird. And so notice in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says that it came to pass, Jesus had finished these sayings, meaning the sayings of chapter 18, and he departed from Galilee, and he came to the region of Judea around, uh, beyond Jordan, and this is the area on the eastern side of the Jordan River in an area called Perea, uh, that's the uh, 
kind of the orangish section you see there from about the middle midpoint of the Jordan River on the east side. And it was basically a Gentile area. And so Jesus came around on that side. He wouldn't come through the other side, on the western side, because that was where the Jews were and that was where Samaria was. And Jesus want, knew that the Jews were hunting him. They, they, they wanted to kill him. And so his hour had not yet come. And so he is avoiding this conflict because he knew that there was a time when it would be right for him to go to the cross. There was a moment, there was a day, there was a time that Christ and the God the Father had planned out before the beginning of time. And Jesus, if you will, was throttling that time. And he knew exactly what he needed to do and how to do it. And finally, he brought himself. He willingly went to the cross. Do you understand? He was no martyr they, they, they didn't grab, you know, apprehend him and kill him. Yes, they did, but he willingly went of his own volition because it was supposed to happen. Christ was supposed to die for the sin of the world. He was born to die. And so all of this is occurring. The, the, the passage that we're looking at, looking at right now is about six months prior to his crucifixion. And notice verse 2, and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And what a great compassion the Lord has for healing people. He wants to, and, and not everybody is healed, we know that. But between verse 2 and verse 3, here in our text this morning, there's about 54 different events that occurred between verse 2 and 3. Do you follow? So we're looking at at least a month's time or maybe even two months' time between verse 2 and 3. So there's a lot of things that happen. And so finally, when we get to verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, and notice they were testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And by this time, the Pharisees had desired to kill Jesus. They, the nation had rejected him completely, and that's why he went on that other side of the Jordan, because the Gentiles gladly received him, but the Jews, his own people, who wrote the scriptures, who he inspired to write the scriptures, they are the ones who rejected him. And so he, they, they, the, the, the Pharisees now, they're coming and they're testing him. They want to trap him in his words. They want to catch him in some kind of thing. And remember, this is exactly what John the Baptist got into. This was mainly the reason that Herod Antipas had jailed and ultimately beheaded John the Baptist was over this idea of marriage and divorce. Because remember, Herod Antipas took his brother Philip's wife to be his wife. That was unlawful for him to do. And John pointed it out. Here's a good example of speaking truth to power. Don't ever think that because you're a Christian, you can't speak truth to power. Here he is, John the Baptist, speaking truth to power, holding them accountable for the evil things that he was doing. And it cost John his life. It cost him his physical life. Because right now he's in glory. And now that the nation had rejected them, the Pharisees, they came tempting him, perhaps hoping to, to put Jesus in this same predicament and have him killed. And they were so desperate to get rid of Jesus. Have you ever known hatred like this? We see it actually today. <laughs> um, there can be people so desperate to get rid of Christ, they are willing to do literally anything. They will do anything. They'll sell their soul to the devil if it means it to accomplish their will. Their hatred, their bitterness is such that they will do anything, anything, just get rid of them. 
And that was the Pharisees. They came to tempt him. They were lost. They were filled with envy, jealousy, and murder. And let me just tell you, it's never a good idea to tempt God. Because here they are acting, the Pharisees are acting as not only the judge, but the jury. Jesus didn't have a fair trial. Do you know that? As you read the Gospels and as you read the end, which we'll get to pretty soon, he didn't have a fair trial at all. It was a mock trial. It was, it was all nonsense. It was all fake news. But there was a well-known rabbi and by the name of Hillel, and he and his followers at the time believed that a man could divorce their wife for nearly any reason. But there was also another school of rabbis who was led by a man by the name of Shimei, and he and his followers believed that only, a man, only adultery or, or sexual uh, sin would be the only cause for divorce. And it's clear that in, uh, in this culture... Um, that most in this culture that we're reading about now, they were holding to this idea that a man could divorce his wife. A woman couldn't adore, uh, divorce a man, by the way, in the Jewish culture. Only a man could divorce his wife. And it's very obvious by their question that the, the, the culture there is just one of which they could divorce their wife for any reason, holding to the more liberal view of Rabbi Hillel. And divorce is extremely painful, isn't it? Maybe some of you here have been through a divorce. It's extremely painful, but for some, they would rather suffer divorce than admit that they are wrong. I've been the product of seeing in my own family and people very close to me four divorces on my mother's side and four on my brother's side from my brother. And I have seen the disaster and the turmoil and the hurt and the pain and the, the whole whirlwind, hurricane mess that divorce is. I have seen it. I've witnessed it. I've lived through it myself. And thank God, my wife, we're coming upon 27 years. Hallelujah. You know, I'm so thankful that God has gotten a hold of our hearts and he is, he's the one. He's the, you know, the... The single cord that's holding us together. He's the one holding us together. I, 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 I'm not doing it. He's doing it. But there are some who would rather suffer the pain, the pain of uh, even seeing the pain of their children and, and the dividing and the fighting over material possessions and living separate lives and then trying to compete for the love and the affection of the children rather than swallow their pride and admit that they're wrong and cry out to God to change them and repent. Some people are willing to go through the divorce, the pain, rather than just say, you know what, I'm wrong. Or even if I'm right, I'm willing to work this out. I'm willing to work it out. Divorce can be the easy way out. It's never easy, but it can be the easy way out because the flesh doesn't want to, the, flesh wants, the flesh wants to avoid responsibility. It doesn't want, it's unwilling to change. It's set in its ways. It wants what it wants, and it will get what it wants if it is not governed by Christ. And the flesh wants, you know, it doesn't want to take the time to resolve problems and endure difficulty. And let me suggest to you, many people often want to leave behind a marriage and divorce, and 
and, and they, they, they think that they're going to leave the baggage and the pain, the broken marriage, but what they don't realize is that they are bringing that into their next relationship. The scars and the hurt are right under the surface. If you don't deal with that, you're just propagating it, and you'll continue this horrible cycle. But lo- I, I was looking at this, and I was thinking about how low of an expectation these Pharisees had uh, of marriage. To just be willing to divorce your wife for any reason. You burnt the toast, you're out of here. You didn't fold my laundry the right way. And see, this, it was a male, very patriarchal, dominant, male-dominant culture. And that's not a bad thing if the men are doing the right things. If a man, if a man is governed by the Spirit of God, he's not going to treat his wife poorly. He's not going to treat her like a second-class citizen. He's not going to treat her like a slave. He's going to treat her with love and respect, and he's going to help when he can. And the roles in the marriage will be defined, and they will be good, but he's, he's not just going to let his wife, you know, he's going to help her. He's going to love her because he loves her. But these men don't appear like they really care. They're just in it for themselves, and it's a very selfish thing. Yes, the very religious men, they should have known better. They should have been different. They should have been better. But by their question, it's clear they didn't value the the marriage. They didn't value women. And it sounds like much like the way it is today because, honestly, people really haven't changed. So few people understand what love really is. So few people understand what marriage is supposed to look like. And the importance of the family unit, which the radicals in our country right now are trying to break us. They're trying to tear down the family, trying to tear down relationships, redefine marriage, redefine love. You cannot do that. And you will not do that. God says that he is love, and he defines what love is and what it is not. He defines what marriage is and what marriage is not. No one has the right. He is the creator. We must submit to him. Amen? And this is why Satan is working so hard at attacking the institution of marriage in the family. And marriage to some is just a financial convenience. It's, uh, it's all about physical desires and needs being met. And unfortunately, it's typical for an unsaved man or woman to have this mindset. An unsaved man, he, you know, he, the physical union of marriage is great. It's been said that any man can make a baby, but it takes a real man to be a great husband and a great father to his kids. And many men and women, they're not concerned about the true meaning of love or marriage. They forget or willingly ignore the fact that true agape love, true love is other-centered and it's sacrificial. And marriage, men and women can be selfish beasts. Maybe you're one of them. It's all about you. Well, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. But then, after it's all about him, but then afterwards, it's all about your spouse. And see, that's our mindset. We should be thinking about others. Other-centeredness is totally, it goes against our natural man. We were born with a sin nature. The natural man thinks only of himself. It's a supernatural thing to be other-centered It's the kind of thing that the Spirit of God wants to do in us. Are you willing to let him do it in you? 
I want him to do it with me so bad. But you know what? You know what's so interesting is I find that even though my heart can be right in this, and I want it so bad, it's like God, it's almost like God is telling me, Rob, I, I, I got to do this to you. I got to do this in you through increments because if I just did all of this right now, you couldn't handle it. And so I'm going to show you little by little, and all I want you to do is yield. Yield to me every single step of the way, and it's going to put you to the mat. Be willing to go to the mat for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your family, for the sake of even the prophetic significance of it. You know, instead of using phrases like, what can he or she do for me? Well, what have you done for me lately? Right? Instead of saying that, or instead of, we should be thinking, what can I do to bless them or serve my spouse? Well, that's a novel concept. Serving and blessing somebody else? Well, what about me? What do I want? And you can almost hear the Holy Spirit going, I'll take care of you, don't worry, just do what I tell you to do. And there is a secret here, I believe, folks, that when we are other-centered, you will be taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. The Lord will see to it. But selfishness is one of the biggest reasons for divorce. And that's why there are so many single parent families, usually without the father. And this is why so many children grow up, sometimes not even knowing who their father is. This is why there's so much hurt and pain in the world. It's also why so many fatherless children grow up and become involved in criminal activities. Because these kids have no self-worth at all. They feel like they've been abandoned. They have no godly role models. To them, all that's left in their life is survival of the fittest and self-preservation, material possessions and physical pleasure. This has been the true epidemic in our country for decades now. And here, people need Jesus. People need to get back to church and they need to get their hearts right. They need to submit their hearts to God and to his word instead of all the junk that is out there. And yes, it is junk because anything apart from God and what he wants for us is nothing but a substitute. It's a very poor one at that. Can anyone say amen to that? I can because I've lived it. I know what it is. I've tried to lie to myself for years. And I've come to the conclusion that God knows best. Father knows best. God the Father knows best, right? In verse 4 it says, And he, Jesus, answered and said to them after they asked him this question, Have you not read, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Notice that Jesus is bringing them back to the word of God again. It sounds as almost as if God thinks that his word is important or something. Is it? Yeah. Is there any, any place else that you can go to? There's nowhere you should go other than God. He made all things. And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus here is quoting Genesis chapter 2. And let me just read it to you, verses 21 through 25. It says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep, thank God, to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now, I can almost see him, you know, I, I picture a giddy Adam. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man, notice this, shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And notice, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. These two should be one flesh. And so ever since the beginning here in Genesis, this has been the normal and natural course of men and women. And so why now, after nearly 7,000 years, is there this dramatic shift, especially in the last three years? Especially in the last three years. Why all of a sudden now is there this dramatic shift about all of these things, about love and marriage and all this stuff? Let that sink in because, America, you are being bamboozled. You are being hoodwinked and deceived, not only by the federal and state government, but you're being deceived by the media and even leaders in the medical profession. Not all, of course, but there are many leaders in the medical profession that are hook, line, and sinker this nonsense. And they will pay the price dearly unless they repent. And that, folks, is the truth. What I'm telling you is the truth. Not because I believe it, because that's what the Bible says. They are the ones who need to follow the science. You take a simple blood test and you can tell a male or female. It's a big, easy thing to do. And everybody goes through changes as they're going through puberty. That's normal stuff. Just let it ride out and it'll work itself out. And it always does. Ah, but now you've got to have a pill. Now you've got to have a shot. Now you've got to have surgery. Now you've got to go to a special class for people like you. No, there's no need for any of that nonsense. Just leave them alone. Get your hands off the kids. But even in our culture, a man is to leave his parents. To leave his parents' home and then once married, leave and cleave to his wife. There's a nice word, cleave. You know what it means? It means to stick like a tick. That's literally what it means, to stick to her. You know, like when you're walking down the, you know, the canal path and, and over there by Shown Place and there's a husband and wife, they're wearing the same shirt, they're wearing the same color coordinated thing and, you know, they're all, they look exactly alike. They're, leave, they're cleaving to one another. They, they are in love. They're cleaving. They're sticking like a tick. I hate to use that word because in New York there's a lot of ticks. Stay away from ticks. And then he's to bring her to his own home, to leave his father and mother, to cleave to his wife, take her to their home, and begin their family. So marriage is something that God created. He invented it. One male, one biological male, and one biological female. God does not accept or condone marriage in any other flavor or variation, and we don't have the right to change or alter what God has said. And what he has ordained. The Bible says in 1 John 4 verse 8 that God is love. So if God is love, then he has the right to define it. He also has the right to tell us what marriage is. And so let me just address the elephant in the room today. Homosexuality, so accepted in our, in our, and prevalent in our culture, it is an affront to God. Does God love these people? Yes, he does. And I hope that statement or statements of mine from this pulpit never keep somebody who is a homosexual or engaged in that from coming here. If you really are searching for the truth, please come. We're not going to bash you. We want to love you. We want to tell you the truth. We love you. 
But you've got to come to God on his terms. And we're not going to rush you. God, it's a thing that God does. Were you rushed when God brought you to himself? He took a lot of time to bring you to himself. So we don't need to bash them. And see, that they think that we just hate them. I hate what they're doing because they're coming after the kids. They're doing things, horrible things. But not all of them are like that. Not all of them are like that. But I hate what they're doing. I don't hate them. I'm willing to talk with them. I'm willing to reason with them. I'm willing to love them godly in a godly way. Right? I'm willing to share with them. But it is a fact. This is a fact that active, and this, just, this is for free, by the way. It is a fact that active gay men live shorter lives because of their deviant behavior. Their bodies were not created for the things that they, they, they scream and demand that they're able to do. God, they're not created for that purpose. Their bodies weren't created for that. And God does not accept it or condone it. And the, and the Lord warns us, remember, in Romans chapter 1, what does it tell us? And I'm going to read this to you, and this is a painful passage. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. That's the very conscience of a person. God places it in a person. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, all people, are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but that they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And here it is, professing to be wise, they became fools. And this is not just the homosexual, or this is the, 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 the person who has rejected God. Professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. For God also gave them, notice this, uh, notice this, this is a scary part here. Therefore, as a result of all that, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And here it is, folks. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Lesbianism is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another. Men, working with men, committing what is shameful, and you fill in the blank there, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Do you hear that? They weren't designed for that. God knows that. And the homosexual lifestyle, same-sex marriage, that's the thing that's happening all around us. They're demanding. It defies the creation, and it defies God's plan and purpose for mankind. It does. And God loves these people. He doesn't want them to perish. And as mature believers, it behooves us to love these people. To not be militant standing. And I've seen some, some places, you know, they got these placards up, and they're just horrible things that they're saying to them. You don't need to do that. Just 
tell them the truth and, 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 and love them. What they really are looking for is love. They're looking for acceptance. And would this church be willing to receive people like that? God received you when you were in your darkest moment, in your most horrible sin. Why, why should we single those people out and say, you know, and, and say, oh, anything but them? No, we receive them in and we love on them and, and hopefully their hearts and their minds will change over time. But we've got to be patient. We've got to love them. We can't just bash them. You don't bash people. That's not God's heart. Jesus never did that. And even the animal kingdom obeys God's order. What does it tell us in Genesis chapter 1? It says that God created the sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which is in the waters. They abounded and according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And guess what? They obeyed that command and they're doing it today. It's natural for a penguin to mate with a penguin. It's natural for a, a whale to mate with a male of its own kind. It's normal for a monkey to mate with a monkey. It's its own kind. And also... <laughs> God told us. What did he tell us? In Genesis 1.27, he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. There's the command. There is the mandate from God. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So how can homosexual men and women fulfill this command of God to be fruitful and multiply? And the simple answer is they can't unless they turn and repent of their sin and just for the record men cannot get pregnant I don't know I, I, I feel like everyone is here is kind of confused about that and I'm just here to tell you that it can't happen okay are we in agreement here men and aren't you every man here has seen his wife give birth is like thank God I can't get pregnant Honey, can you get, go get me that you know, pint of you know, Haagen-Dazs ice cream and the pickles? You know, that's not you. And you're thankful for that, man, right? Can I hear an amen from the man? Amen. Oh, thank God. I don't want to go through that. <laughs> On May 18th of 2022, Amy Ehrenbide, the executive director of the abortion rights nonprofit group called Avow Texas, was asked by Representative Dan Bishop, before the House Judiciary Committee to define what a woman is, to which she responded. And I actually have the video here, and I wanted to show you the video to show you how ludicrous our culture is. But for the sake of copyright, I'm going to stay away from it because I want to show it to you. But I'm going to read to you exactly what she said. And if you want to see it after service, I'll come and I'll show it to you. But he, he, he asked her to define what a woman is, and she responded, I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. And then he went on and says, do you believe that men, and I quote, I'm quoting here, do you believe that men can become pregnant and have abortions? And she said, yes. And I'm like, what planet are these people from? God loves them. Okay, I'm going to tell you, he loves them. But this is, folks, this is, this is outlandish. This is beyond, this is deception. 
Do you understand? And I'll show you the video. And what does it tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 4? The Lord tells us, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's exactly what this is. It's a deceiving spirit, a doctrine of demons, and they have embraced it wholesale. And they are forcing you to believe it. But I am going to believe what God has said. How about you? Amen. Glory, glory, Jesus. You got it. But this is the result, folks. And, and I've got to be. I mean, that's exactly what transpired. There, there's no taking it out of context. This is when a conscience has been seared. But the institution of marriage is sacred. And God holds it in high esteem because also it holds a prophetic significance. And you may be asking yourself, well, what is it actually? What, prophecy, what prophetic significance is it? Well, let me read to you in Ephesians for the sake of time, I'm just going to read it to you, okay? Because I'm, I'm, i got both guns loaded here. I'm just going to go forward, okay? Well, notice what it says in Ephesians 5, verse 22. And here's the, 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 the exhortation for women. And then, men, you're going to get yours, too. The Lord says to us, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, notice this, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let also the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ah, but here you go, husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Ooh. You feel the pinch, men? Just as Christ loved the church? Well, how did Christ love the church? Was he selfish? and Was he self-serving? Was he self-focused? No, nothing that Jesus did was about self at all. He always served. He always gave. He sacrificed for his bride. And see, guys, that's what we are called to do. And as I say that, I'm feeling the intrepidation in my own soul. Because I'm recognizing very much, and my wife's not here this morning, but if she were, she'd go, Amen! <laughs> I feel the own, my own intrepidation because there are areas in my marriage and the way I treat my wife that needs to improve and get better. I need to be submissive to this. But notice that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So God, that's why we are, guys, that's why we are supposed to do that. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, notice what Paul says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, he says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Do you hear that? So even though that's true for us in our marriages... The wives submitting to the husbands and the husbands loving the wives as Christ loved the church. Those are very tall orders. And that will bring you to the mat. Be willing to go to the mat. And there will be blessing. Resist the mat. Resist conforming your life to what the scripture says and you will be in divorce court before long. Or your marriage just won't be the best it could be. It's your choice. You can either go through pain later or you can go through pain now, but the pain now is an investment. The pain afterwards of rejecting it is foolishness on your part.
on our part, right? But notice the similarities. So this is not just about husband and wife physically, two people. He's also speaking prophetically of this, the way it is between Christ and us, his bride. He is our groom, and we are the bride of Christ. And the similarities of this oneness uh, with our spouses in marriage, and then also to see that God has with us, you know, he, he desires to have that same oneness with us. In John's gospel in chapter 17, notice the unity or the, the oneness of the Son, Jesus, with the Father. He says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So there was this unity of the Son and the Father. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their work, through their word, excuse me, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, Jesus said, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And then Jesus finished the, finishes the prayer, Father, I desire that you also, that they also, whom you have gave me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you gave me for the Lord love, or, or for the... For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I declare, I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I mean, how many pronouns are in this thing? I mean, you, you, you take a pencil and you circle every pronoun and it speaks of unity. I and them and you and me and them and us. And it's just like, oh my goodness. It's like a, it's like a research paper. It's like an a, a English teacher would have a ball. Just go circle the pronouns class. And these pronouns are good. Right? So then there are no longer two. Jesus goes on in verse 6. There are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate and this idea, let no man separate, is so critical. Let nothing, let no man or woman or anything separate what God has joined together. And this includes you, mom and dads. Be careful with your father or your son or daughter-in-law. You may not like them. You may not like your son-in-law or you may not like your daughter-in-law. But don't seek to drive a wedge between and get in, and meddle in the marriage of your son or your daughter. Don't meddle and get in the middle of it. Even if you don't like their choice and their mate that they chose, you pray for them. You, you know, counsel them when they ask for it. And sometimes you have to share things that they didn't ask for, but wait for them and pray for them. Be willing to help them and pray for them. Be willing to help them. Don't be the one that gets in the middle and starts tearing their, their marriage apart because God hates divorce. And I have seen firsthand total of eight times in my family, my immediate family, eight times I have seen destruction of divorce, and God hates it. In fact, in Malachi, and if, if you can, go ahead and turn there. It's the, the book right before the New Testament. It's the last book in the Old Testament. But in Malachi, and I'm just going to go on here, in Malachi 
um, chapter 2, the Lord was talking about Judah because Judah, the tribe of Judah, the southern uh, tribe, the southern uh, portion of of the, the southern kingdom, they were guilty of not only physical adultery but spiritual adultery as well and he addresses them and he goes judah has dealt this is in verse 11 of malachi 2 judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in israel and in jerusalem for judah has profaned the lord's holy institution which he loves so god loves the institution of marriage He has married the daughter of a foreign god, speaking of the nation, has married a false god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. And here it is, folks. It doesn't get any more critical and clear and right to the point. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce it there's no other portion in the new test or in the old testament that is as clear and as forceful as that verse he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence says the lord of hosts therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously and so and let's be honest in america in the church and out of the church, let's turn from our adultery. Let's turn from the fornications, the, pornograph- the pornography, our thefts, our greed, our murders, and our abortions, and all of our filthy deeds. We, church, need to turn from these things. We can't expect the world to turn, but every one of us in this room is touched by one of these things. We need to turn. I need to turn. From anything in my, whatever, in my thoughts. We need to turn toward God and repent of those things. This is a hard statement, but I believe our country is being judged. Not that it's going to be judged because of the horrible things that are happening. No, I believe because of the horrible things that have already filled the coffers of God's wrath, now we're being judged. We get the leaders we deserve. We get the things that we see happening. And folks, this is the time for us, the church, to repent and to turn. You can't expect the world, America, to repent. You can't expect the unbeliever. Hopefully they will, but you and I, the church, we need to turn because souls are being lost. And secondly, Our country may be lost if we do not turn from our evil ways. Think about it. So verse 7, 
So they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, he permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And, and we don't really have a great deal of time uh, to go through this. But in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 through 15, it talks about this hardness. It's, it's spiritual arterial sclerosis. There's a nice medical term. Hardening of the arteries, ar arteriosclerosis. Well, it's a spiritual arteriosclerosis. We become hard of heart, and it's a spiritual thing. It's something that's inside of us that we're, no, I'm not going to submit. I deserve this. I've lived this hell for so long, and I am going to do this. I don't care who believes in it or not. I, I deserve this. And, mm. have, you, have you met people like that? Maybe you looked at it in the mirror this morning. I don't know. But you know what? We can get that way, can't we? We can get so obstinate, unwilling to yield. We're just like, mm. And God says, that's a stiff heart. That's a hardened heart. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of the trial in the wilderness, God says in Hebrews, where your fathers, they tested me, they tried me, they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, God said, they shall not enter my rest. And those, that generation did not enter into the promised land. They all died. And a new generation who didn't rebel as much and didn't know, they actually inherited the promised land. So what is this? The cure of a hardened heart is what? It's Christ. He wants to soften your heart. Will you allow your heart to be softened? You can make an honest evaluation in your own heart. Say, Lord, has my heart become hardened? Am I, am I still angry at my wife, at, my, at my, my husband, whatever? Am I holding the grudge still? You know, to do it today. For God's sake, get it right today. Do not wait. And notice what verse, in verse 9, what Jesus said, but I say to you, there's his authority. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus brings the scripture right into view. Didn't he say this in Matthew 5? He did. He said it back in the Beatitudes, remember? He said, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and vice versa. He said it. And then, and then what about in Romans? In Romans, Paul tells us that there's another scenario where a man or woman could remarry. So the, you know what's so beautiful? And I've I got to share this. I'm going to go just a few minutes longer. And I hope you, I apologize too, and I hope you'll forgive me. But you know, there are many women, there are many marriages, or a handful of marriages that I have known where a, a physical adultery is a ha has happened. And the wife or the husband was in their legitimate ground to divorce their spouse. And I have seen with my own eyes the man or woman truly repent and the marriage restored. See, that is amazing grace. 
Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Trust has been broken. It's going to take a long time for that trust. And guys or women, whoever you who are committing the adultery, you have to be patient with your spouse who you've sinned against because it's going to take some time to repair that. Yes, God can do it all in a moment. But it normally takes time for that person to trust you again. Because when you go out now and say, I'm going out after work, I'll be home an hour and a half later than what I said, they're wondering, what are you up to now? You better make yourself accountable. Why are you going out? You know, share your location data on your phone. Where is he going? I'm going to show up and see if he's... You know what I mean? Trust takes time to repair. And don't be ashamed of that. And Romans tells us that if you're husband dies, then ladies, you're free to remarry somebody more handsome and younger. (laughs) But only under that circumstances, only under those two circumstances are you allowed to, you know, to remarry. But the Bible is the granite, it's the foundation, regardless of people's opinions and the fancy degrees that people have from Ivy League institutions. Who cares about any of that? Notice in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man and his wife, isn't it better? It is better not to remarry. And then they go on, but he said to them, Jesus, all cannot accept the saying, but only those to whom it has been given. Notice that marriage and the intimacy of marriage is not for every one. It's not for everyone. And if God has given you the gift of remaining single and celibate, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, and it certainly doesn't mean that you are gay. Although there are groups that will gladly try to get you into their camp. If you're one of those people, that's just... And, and it happens. And, and it can happen when you're from, from birth, or it can happen at some point in your life. You're like, you know what, I'm content just being alone with the Lord and serving him there's nothing wrong with that you may still have an inkling toward you know an opposite sex you may have you know but but your 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 heart is content to be um single that doesn't make you gay that doesn't make mean that there's something wrong with you don't ever let anybody do that and don't let them pull you into their camp well you got to join the lgbtq plus because you're not you know married or have a uh, a desire for the opposite sex. Don't let them bamboozle you and think, well, there's something wrong with you, but you need to join our group so we can all be miserable. <laughs> right? They are, folks. You know what? They're the most miserable people. And they're the people who need the most love. And they're trying to look for it. They're trying to look for it. But the love that they really need is, in, is found in Christ. And we, as the ambassadors, again... We need to tell them the truth and love them and not bash them. I have to say that because it's a very sensitive topic for me personally. Because as a pastor, and I do have a lot of passion in these things, and I'm not ashamed of that. But that vehemence that comes out from a person like myself, they have to know that I'm not angry. I don't hate you. I rather want to love you, but I want to love you biblically. I want to love you as God wants to love you, right? And you want to bring them in. We've got to be that way. So anyway, if God has given you this gift, it's a unique call. It's not, it's, it may be more rare than the opposite, but it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It does not mean, and don't let the devil lie to you. It is a unique call. And, hit, and, and Paul the Apostle, 
He was one of those people. He said, For I wish that all men would be, were, were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say unto the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then let them marry, for it is far better to marry than to burn with passion. But not everybody is burning with passion. Some are like, you know what, I don't need that in my life at this stage in my life. I'm comfortable just, you know, there's nothing wrong. Serve the Lord. You're free. And it is a gift if you see it that way. But immature people around you will say, oh, you're not like us. You're the third wheel. Don't, don't, don't ever say that to a single person. And don't ever make them feel that way. If you're a married couple and you're around single people, love them and bring them in. Invite them over for dinner. Invite a couple of them over, you know, and just love them. We're all one family. We need to put away all those placards that we tend to put over people's heads invisibly, right? We've got to stop it. And he even goes into, in the same chapter, in verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how, many, how he may please the Lord. Notice, there's the benefit of it. But he who is married carries about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So there's nothing wrong with being celibate or single, if that's what God has called you to do. If you have a desire to be married, it's a good thing. If he had given you the desire to not be married and be alone, that's a good thing too. That's a gift too. Don't let anybody people tell you that you're something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you for making them feel that way. Because the Bible doesn't condemn them. Why should you, right? The Apostle Peter was married. Verse 12, it says, For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who have, were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Do you see, hear what Jesus is saying very clearly? Some are born with congenital defects, and, and it's very rare, by the way. And maybe they don't have, or, or maybe they haven't been born with a congenital defect of some kind, but they don't have a natural desire like some others. That's okay. That's what he's saying. And some are made eunuchs. Remember Daniel and his three fellows, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What was the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did when he took them captive in 606 B.C., when he took them back to Babylon? He castrated them. They became eunuchs. They couldn't reproduce. They were servants in his kingdom. There are many reasons why they do that, but I'm not going to go there. But some have chosen even a life of celibacy, that they may be undistracted in their service to Jesus Christ. And I know people like this in this fellowship, and I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful. There's no reason to feel awkward or horrible about it, and we shouldn't make them feel that way. Don't make them feel like a second-class citizen. It's a great, great gift, if you will see it that way. But for a church organization or a body uh, a body of believers to force celibacy on any of its priests or pastors or servants, it is cruel and it is against creation. Do you understand that? And this is probably part of the reason why there's so much sexual sin within the church, especially within Roman Catholicism, that imposes celibacy upon its priests. And so is it any surprise when homosexuality and pedophilia are problems plaguing the Catholic Church? And they have for many years. I, have, I know men who have been molested by a Catholic priest 
They've told me firsthand what happened. And just so I don't, you know, come against the... I'm not bashing the... I'm just, this is all true stuff, right? But the Protestant church isn't any better. It isn't. The Protestant church has got homosexuality, fornication, infidelity to deal with within its leadership and in the congregation. So we're all a mess because we won't listen. We won't obey God. When you don't obey God, that's what you get. Behind door number two is a hellish mess. What are you going to choose? Door number one where there's obedience and life and pleasures forevermore, real godly pleasures, or choose door number two where there's hell and strife and pain. I'm going to choose door number one. And I would encourage you to choose door number one. But the institution of marriage, we're going to wrap up now. Thank you for your patience. But the institution of marriage in our culture has become something God has never intended it. I get the privilege tonight to marry two people at their home. And I can't wait. Because they are being obedient to the word of God. But our culture has made it something else. It's tried to refine and define. It's tried to define, redefine love. It's tried to redefine marriage, but you cannot. God has said it. He spoke it. I believe it. That settles it. Do you feel that way too? Or are you willing to say, well, God said it, but the guy at Harvard and some of these other studies in the UK say this. Then who are you believing in? You're believing in man and and what man says. Listen, what man says is nothing compared to what God says. When God says it, that's good enough for me. I'm going to swallow that hook. It's done. It's done when God says it. Will you be like that? Let's be like that. Doggedly stubborn with the word of God, but loving at the same time. There's the challenge for me and for you to be doggedly hook, line, and sinker. I believe it because God said it. And then also, and, and to not waver, to not, not, not try to see somebody else's point of view. But, you know, Hare Krishna says, no, I don't care what Hare Krishna, he's a created man. I don't care what Buddha says. I don't care what Allah says. I don't care what even our president says. I'm going to believe in the Bible. And the Bible is the foundation of my faith. It is the ground of, he's the captain of our salvation. He died for my sin, nobody else. I'm not listening to anybody else. I mean, if they got something that's good that corroborates the word of God, I'll listen to you. But if you say something against the word of God, I'm not going to listen. And I'm certainly not going to obey it. Sorry. But be loving. (laughs) We've got to be loving. And there is a way to do that. Do you know you can say no with a smile on your face? Do you know that you can challenge somebody and say, you know what, I'm sorry, but the Bible says this, but I don't hold to that, and I will not hold to that. I'm sorry. Don't even actually apologize. Don't apologize. Just say, I'm not going to hold that because the Bible says it. And smile and walk away, but keep your, keep, watch your back because they may come after you. <laughs> say that and quickly run. <laughs> it used to be you could have a civil dialogue Not anymore. Especially in issues like this. The Bible has, 
It's front, do you see it? It's front and center. You have to believe. If you're a Christian, you need to believe this. If you don't believe this, you're going to be all over the map. Believe everything in it, and God, you will be blessed a person. You will be a blessed person. But you're not going to go without tribulation or trials. Okay, that's true for everybody. But when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I can say, I believe in every word of this, God, because you spoke it. You, you verified it through various means, and I believe it 100%. And I do, I believe it. And no one can pull me from that. And shoot me if somebody does. Send me home quickly. There's no reason. Because God is true. And every everyone else, a liar. Right? Well, isn't that the verse? Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true because he is. He is true. But let's love. I know I've, 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 I can get, you know, punchy. And, but we've got to love. We've got to love. We've got to hold up. It's high time that the church stands up and holds, upholds God's word and allows God's word to get into us, to change us, that we can live and we can have marriages that the world can look at and say, wow, these people are amazing. They serve an amazing God because she should have left him a long time ago and he should have left her a long time ago. And now look at them. Now look what's happening they, they were just dealt a hurricane, and now they're smiling and holding each other's hands, eating an ice cream by the park. How did that happen? Two words, but God. <laughs> right? God, he's the one. Jesus is the one. That we would all be faithful in our marriages to uphold this prophetic picture of Christ and the church. Because Christ is coming back for us at any moment to retrieve his bride unto himself and then to the wedding feast. Are you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to that. Can you imagine what the beef is like? You know, people talk about this Wagyu beef, you know, this really expensive beef. Whatever he's got for us is going to be so much better. We're all going to be crying as we're eating it. I can't believe it's so good. Lord, I love you so you got beef hanging out of your mouth. I just love you so much. Sorry, I this is Rob's personality coming out. Lord help us. Let's stand. Let's pray. The Lord's like, shut up, Rob. Just close. Close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for the, the patience of my brothers and sisters. And, and Lord, just thank you for the hard things we heard today and also the glorious and wonderful things that we've heard. Lord, you are so awesome. And Lord, this morning we just want to rededicate our lives to you, rededicate our marriages, rededicate everything back to you, Lord. And I pray for every marriage here, including my own, Lord, that we would surrender those things, that we would get it right, that we would not leave these this bitterness and holding grudges and, and trust issues, Lord. May, may you sort out all of these things and that this body, this, this church today would be the healthiest body in Monroe County in the state of New York in the country of the United States. May you start with us, Lord, and help us to be faithful. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.